Act Two of John Gabriel Borkman by Heinrich Ibsen, translated by William Archer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Second, the great gallery on the first floor of the Rentheim House. The walls are covered with old tapestries representing hunting scenes, shepherds and shepherdesses all in faded colours. A folding door to the left, and further forward a piano. In the left-hand corner at the back, a door, cut in the tapestry, and covered with tapestry, without any frame. Against the middle of the right wall, a large writing-table of carved oak, with many books and papers. Further forward, on the same side, a sofa with a table and chairs in front of it. The furniture is all of a stiff empire style, lighted lamps on both tables. John Gabriel Borkman stands with his hands behind his back beside the piano, listening to Frida Foldal, who is playing the last bars of Dance Macabre. Borkman is of middle height, a well-knit, powerfully built man, well on in the sixties. His appearance is distinguished, his profile finely cut, his eyes piercing, his hair and beard curly and greyish-white. He is dressed in a slightly old-fashioned black coat and wears a white necktie. Frida Foldal is a pretty pale girl of fifteen with a somewhat weary and overstrained expression. She is cheaply dressed in light colours. Can you guess where I first heard tones like these? Looking up at him. No, Mr. Borkman. It was down in the mines. Indeed, down in the mines. I am a miner's son, you know. Or perhaps you did not know. No, Mr. Borkman. A miner's son, and my father used sometimes to take me with him into the mines. The metal sings down there. Really? Sings? Nodding. When it is loosened, the hammer strokes that loosen it are the midnight bell clanging to set it free. And that is why the metal sings, in its own way, for gladness. Why does it do that, Mr. Borkman? It wants to come up into the light of day and serve mankind. He paces up and down the gallery, always with his hands behind his back. Frida sits waiting a little, and then looks at her watch and rises. I beg your pardon, Mr. Borkman, but I'm afraid I must go. Stopping before her. Are you going already? Putting her music in its case. I really must. I have an engagement this evening. For a party? Yes. And are you to play before the company? biting her lip. No, at least I am only to play for dancing. Only for dancing? Yes, there is to be a dance after supper. Stands and looks at her. Do you like playing dance music? At parties, I mean? Putting on her outdoor things. Yes, when I can get an engagement. I can always earn a little in that way. Is that the principal thing in your mind as you sit playing for the dancers? No, I'm generally thinking how hard it is that I mayn't join in the dance myself. Nodding. That is just what I wanted to know. Moving restlessly about the room. Yes, yes, yes. That you must not join in the dance. That is the hardest thing of all. But there is one thing that should make up to you for that, Frida. Looking inquiringly at him. What is that, Mr. Borkman? The knowledge that you have ten times more music in you than all the dancers together. Smiling evasively. Oh, that's not at all so certain holding up his forefinger warningly. 
you must never be so mad as to have doubts of yourself but since no one knows it so long as you know it yourself that is enough where is it you're going to play this evening over at hinkle's with a swift keen glance at her hinkle's you say yes with a cutting smile does that man give parties can he get people to visit him yes they have a great many people about them mrs wilton says but what sort of people can you tell me that no i really don't know yes by the by i know that young mr borkman is to be there this evening erhard my son yes he is going there how do you know that he said so himself an hour ago is he out here to-day yes he has been at mrs wilton's all the afternoon do you know if he called here too i mean did he see anyone downstairs yes he looked in to see mrs borkman ah i might have known it there was a strange lady calling upon her i think indeed was there oh yes i suppose people do come now and then to see mrs borkman if i meet young mr borkman this evening shall i ask him to come up and see you too you shall do nothing of the sort i won't have it on any account the people who want to see me can come of their own accord oh very well i shan't say anything then good-night mr borkman pacing up and down and growling good-night do you mind if i run down by the winding stair it's the shortest way oh by all means take whatever stair you please so far as i am concerned good-night to you good-night mr borkman she goes out by the little tapestry door in the back on the left borkman lost in thought goes up to the piano and is about to close it but changes his mind looks round the great empty room and sets to pacing up and down it from the corner at the back on the right pacing backward and forward uneasily and incessantly at last he goes up to the writing-table listens in the direction of the folding door hastily snatches up a hand-glass looks at himself in it and straightens his necktie a knock at the folding door borkman hears it looks rapidly towards the door but says nothing in a little there comes another knock this time louder borkman beside the writing-table with his left hand resting upon it his right thrust in the breast of his coat come in wilhelm fuldal comes softly into the room he is a bent and worn man with mild blue eyes and long thin grey hair straggling down over his coat collar he has a portfolio under his arm a soft felt hat and large horn spectacles which he pushes up over his forehead borkman changes his attitude and looks at foldal with a half disappointed half pleased expression oh is it only you good evening yon gabriel yes you see it is me with a stern glance i must say you are rather a late visitor well you know it's a good bit of a way especially when you have to trudge it on foot but why do you always walk wilhelm the tramway passes your door it's better for you to walk and then you always save tuppence well has frida been playing to you lately she has just this moment gone did you not meet her outside no i have seen nothing of her for a long time not since she went to live with this mrs wilton borkman seating himself on the sofa and waving his hand towards a chair you may sit down wilhelm seating himself on the edge of a chair many thanks looks mournfully at him you can't think how lonely i feel since frida left home oh come you have plenty left yes 
god knows i have five of them but frida was the only one who at all understood me shaking his head sadly the others don't understand me a bit gloomily gazing straight before him and drumming on the table with his fingers now that's just it that is the curse we exceptional chosen people have to bear the common herd the average man and woman they do not understand us wilhelm if it were only the lack of understanding with a little patience i could manage to wait for that a while yet his voice choked with tears but there is something still bitterer there is nothing bitterer than that yes there is young gabriel i have gone through a domestic scene to-night just before i started what about my people at home they despise me despise wiping his eyes i have long known it but to-day it came out unmistakably you made an unwise choice i fear when you married i had practically no choice in the matter and you see one feels a need for companionship as one begins to get on in years and so crushed as i then was so utterly broken down jumping up in anger is this meant for me a reproach no no for heaven's sake young gabriel yes you are thinking of the disaster to the bank i can see you are but i don't blame you for that heaven forbid Orkman, growling resumes his seat well that is a good thing at any rate besides you mustn't think that it is my wife that i complain of it is true that she has not much polish poor thing but she is a good sort of a woman all the same no it's the children i thought as much for the children well they have more culture and therefore they expect more of life looking at him sympathetically and so your children despise you wilhelm shrugging his shoulders i haven't made much of a career you see there's no denying that moving nearer to him and laying his hand upon his arm do they not know then that in your young days you wrote a tragedy yes of course they know that but it doesn't seem to make much impression on them then they don't understand these things for your tragedy is good i am firmly convinced of that yes don't you think there are some good things in it young gabriel good god if i could only manage to get it placed opens his portfolio and begins eagerly turning over the contents look here just let me show you one or two alterations i've made have you it with you yes i thought i would bring it it's so long now since i have read it to you and i thought perhaps it might amuse you to hear an act or two rising with a negative gesture no no we will keep that for another time well well as you please borkman paces up and down the room fuldal puts the manuscript up again borkman stopping in front of him you are quite right in what you said just now 
you have not made any career but i promise you this wilhelm that when once the hour of my restoration strikes making a movement to rise oh thanks thanks waving his hand no please be seated when the hour of my restoration strikes when they see that they cannot get on without me when they come to me here in the gallery and crawl to my feet and beseech me to take the reins of the bank again the new bank that they have founded and can't carry on placing himself beside the writing-table in the same attitude as before and striking his breast here i shall stand and receive them and it shall be known far and wide all the country over what conditions john gabriel borkman imposes before he will you're looking so doubtfully at me perhaps you do not believe that they will come that they must 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 come to me some day do you not believe it yes heaven knows i do young gabriel seating himself again on the sofa i firmly believe it i am immovably convinced i know that they will come if i had not been certain of that i would have put a bullet through my head long ago oh no for heaven's sake but they will come they will come sure enough you shall see i expect them any day any moment and you see i hold myself in readiness to receive them uh, if only they would come quickly yes time flies the years slip away life ah no i dare not think of it do you know what i sometimes feel like what i feel like a napoleon who has been maimed in his first battle placing his hand upon his portfolio i have that feeling too oh well that is on a smaller scale of course my little world of poetry is very precious to me young gabriel yes but think of me who could have created millions all the mines i should have controlled new veins innumerable and the waterfalls and the quarries and the trade routes and the steamship lines all the wide world over i would have organized it all i alone yes i know i know there was nothing in the world you would have shrunk from Balkman, clenching his hands together and now i have to sit here like a wounded eagle and look on while others pass me in the race and take everything away from me piece by piece that is my fate too Balkman, not noticing him only to think of it so near to the goal as i was if i had only had another week to look about me all the deposits would have been covered all the securities i had dealt with so daringly should have been in their places again as before vast companies were within a hair's breadth of being floated not a soul should have lost a half-penny yes yes you were on the very verge of success and then treachery overtook me just at the critical moment do you know what i hold to be the most infamous crime a man can be guilty of no tell me it is not murder it is not robbery or housebreaking it is not even perjury for all these things people do to those they hate or who are indifferent to them and do not matter what is the worst of all then young gabriel the most infamous of crimes is a friend's betrayal of his friend's confidence yes 
but you know what are you going to say i see it in your face but it is of no use the people who had their securities in the bank should have got them all back again every farthing now i tell you the most infamous crime a man can commit is to misuse a friend's letters to publish to all the world what has been confided to him alone in the closest secrecy like a whisper in an empty dark double-locked room the man who can do such things is infected and poisoned in every fibre with the morals of the higher rascality and such a friend was mine and it was he who crushed me i can guess who you mean there was not a nook or cranny of my life that i hesitated to lay open to him and then when the moment came he turned against me the weapons i myself had placed in his hands i have never been able to understand why he of course there were whispers of all sorts at the time what were the whispers tell me you see i know nothing for i had to go straight into into isolation what did people whisper wilhelm you were to have gone into the cabinet they said i was offered a portfolio but i refused it then it wasn't there you stood in his way no no that was not the reason he betrayed me then i really can't understand i may as well tell you wilhelm well there was in fact there was a woman in the case a woman in the case well but young gabriel well well let us say no more of these stupid old stories after all neither of us got into the cabinet neither he nor i but he rose high in the world and i fell into the abyss oh it's a terrible tragedy almost as terrible as yours i fancy when i come to think of it yes at least as terrible <laughs> but looked at from another point of view it really is a sort of comedy as well a comedy the story of your life yes it seems to be taking a turn in that direction for let me tell you what you say you did not meet frida as you came in no at this moment as we sit here she is playing waltzes for the guests of the man who betrayed and ruined me i hadn't the least idea of that yes she took her music and went straight from me to to the great house well you see poor child and can you guess for whom she is playing among the rest no for my son what what do you think of that wilhelm my son is down there in the whirl of the dance this evening am i not right in calling it a comedy but in that case you may be sure he knows nothing about it what does he know you may be sure he doesn't know how he that man do not shrink from his name i can quite well bear it now i am certain your son doesn't know the circumstances young gabriel gloomily sitting and beating the table yes he knows as surely as i am sitting here then how can he possibly be a guest in that house shaking his head my son probably does not see things with my eyes i'll take my oath he is on my enemy's side no doubt he thinks as they do that hinkle only did his confounded duty when he went and betrayed me but my dear friend who can have got him to see things in that light who do you forget who has brought him up first his aunt from the time he was six or seven years old 
and now of late years his mother i believe you are doing them an injustice i never do any one injustice both of them have gone and poisoned his mind against me i tell you well 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 i suppose they have ah oh, these women they wreck and ruin life for us play the devil with our whole destiny our triumphal progress not all of them indeed can you tell me of a single one that is good for anything no that is the trouble the few that i know are good for nothing <sighs> well then what is the good of it what is the good of such women existing if you never know them yes young gabriel there is good in it i assure you it is such a blessed beneficial thought that here or there in the world somewhere far away the true woman exists after all Orkman, moving impatiently on the sofa oh do spare me that poetical nonsense looks at him deeply wounded do you call my holiest faith poetical nonsense yes i do that is what has always prevented you from getting on in the world if you would get all that out of your head i could still help you on in life help you to rise oh you can't do that i can when once i come into power again that won't be for many a day perhaps you think that day will never come answer me i don't know what to answer rising cold and dignified and waving his hand towards the door then i no longer have any use for you no use since you do not believe that the tide will turn for me how can i believe in the teeth of all reason you would have to be legally rehabilitated go on go on it's true i never passed my examination but i have read enough law to know that it is impossible you mean there is no precedent for such a thing exceptional men are above precedents the law knows nothing of such distinctions you are no poet wilhelm unconsciously folding his hands do you say that in sober earnest we are only wasting each other's time you had better not come here again then you really want me to leave you i have no longer any use for you softly taking his portfolio no 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 i dare say not here you have been lying to me all the time shaking his head never lying young gabriel have you not sat here feeding me with hope and trust and confidence that was all a lie it wasn't a lie so long as you believed in my vocation so long as you believed in me i believed in you then we have been all the time deceiving each other and perhaps deceiving ourselves both of us but isn't that just the essence of friendship young gabriel smiling bitterly yes you are right there friendship means deception i have learnt that once before i have no poetical vocation and you could actually say it to me so bluntly well you know i don't pretend to know much about these matters perhaps you know more than you think i yes you for i myself have had thy doubts now and then i may tell you the horrible doubts that i may have bundled my life for the sake of a delusion 
if you have no faith in yourself you are on the downward path indeed that was why i found such comfort in coming here to lean upon your faith in me taking his hat but now you have become a stranger to me and you to me good night young gabriel good night wilhelm huldal goes out to the left Orkman stands for a moment gazing at the closed door makes a movement as though to call Fuldal back, but changes his mind and begins to pace the floor with his hands behind his back. Then he stops at the table beside the sofa and puts out the lamp. The room becomes half dark. After a short pause, there comes a knock at the tapestry door. Orkman at the table starts, turns. Who is that knocking? No answer. Another knock. Orkman, without moving. Who is it? Come in. Ella Rentheim, with a lighted candle in her hand, appears in the doorway. She wears her black dress as before, with her cloak thrown loosely around her shoulders. Who are you? What do you want with me? Ella Rentheim closes the door and advances. It is I, Borkman. She puts down the candle on the piano and remains standing beside it. Borkman stands as though thunderstruck stares fixedly at her is it ella is it ella rentheim yes it's your ella as you used to call me in the old days many many years ago yes it is you ella i can see you now can you recognize me yes now i begin to the years have told on me and brought winter with them borkman do you not think so you are a good deal changed just at first glance there are no dark curls on my neck now the curls you once loved to twist round your fingers true i can see it now ella you have done your hair differently with a sad smile precisely it is the way i do my hair that makes the difference i had no idea you were in this part of the world i have only just arrived why have you come all this way now in winter that you shall hear is it me you have come to see you among others but if i am to tell you my errand i must begin far back you look tired yes i am tired won't you sit down there on the sofa yes thank you i need rest she crosses to the right and seats herself in the furthest forward corner of the sofa Orkman stands beside the table with his hands behind his back looking at her a short silence it seems an endless time since we two met borkman face to face it is a long long time and terrible things have passed since then a whole lifetime has passed a wasted lifetime looking keenly at her wasted yes i say wasted for both of us i cannot regard my life as wasted yet and what about mine there you have yourself to blame ella and you can say that you could quite well have been happy without me do you believe that if you had made up your mind to oh yes i know well enough there was someone else ready to marry me but you rejected him yes i did time after time you rejected him year after year year after year i rejected happiness i suppose you think you might perfectly well have been happy with him and then i should have been saved you 
yes you would have saved me ella how do you mean he thought i was at the bottom of your obstinacy of your perpetual refusals and then he took his revenge it was so easy for him he had all my frank confiding letters in his keeping he made his own use of them and then it was all over with me for the time that is to say so you see it is all your doing ella oh indeed borkman if we look into the matter it appears that it is i who owe you reparation it depends how you look at it i know quite well all that you have done for us you bought in this house and the whole property at the auction you placed the house entirely at my disposal and your sister too you took charge of Earhart and cared for him in every way as long as i was allowed to by your sister you mean i have never mixed myself up in these domestic affairs as i was saying i know all the sacrifices you have made for me and for your sister but you were in a position to do so ella and you must not forget that it was i who placed you in that position there you make a great mistake borkman it was the love of my inmost heart for Earhart, and for you too that made me do it my dear ella do not let us get upon questions of sentiment and that sort of thing i mean of course that if you acted generously it was i that put it in your power to do so <laughs> in my power yes put it in your power i say on the eve of the great decisive battle when i could not afford to spare either kith or kin when i had to grasp at when i did grasp at the millions that were entrusted to me then i spared all that was yours every farthing although i could have taken it and made use of it as i did of all the rest that is quite true borkman yes it is and that was why when they came and took me they found all your securities untouched in the strong-room of the bank i have often and often wondered what was your real reason for sparing all my property that and that alone my reason yes your reason tell me perhaps you think it was that i might have something to fall back upon if things went wrong oh no i am sure you did not think of that in those days never i was so absolutely certain of victory well then why was it that shrugging his shoulders upon my soul ella it is not so easy to remember one's motives of twenty years ago i only know that when i used to grapple silently and alone with all the great projects i had in my mind i had something like the feeling of a man who is starting on a balloon voyage all through my sleepless nights i was inflating my giant balloon and preparing to soar away into perilous unknown regions you who never had the least doubt of victory men are made so ella they both doubt and believe at the same time and i suppose that was why i would not take you and yours with me in the balloon why i ask you tell me why one shrinks from risking what one holds dearest on such a voyage you had risked what was dearest to you on that voyage your whole future life life is not always what one holds dearest was that how you felt at that time i fancy it was i was the dearest thing in the world to you i seem to remember something of the sort and yet years had passed since you had deserted me and married married another deserted you you say you must know very well that it was higher motives 
well then other motives that compelled me without his support i could not have done anything so you deserted me from higher motives i could not get on without his help and he made you the price of helping me and you paid the price paid it in full without haggling i had no choice i had to conquer or fall can what you tell me be true that i was then the dearest thing in the world to you both then and afterwards long long after but you bartered me away none the less drove a bargain with another man for your love sold my love for a for a directorship i was driven by inexorable necessity ella ella rentheim rises from the sofa quivering with passion criminal borkman starts but controls himself i have heard that word before oh don't imagine i'm thinking of anything you may have done against the law of the land the use you made of all those vouchers and securities or whatever you call them do you think i care a straw about that if i could have stood at your side when the crash came what then ella trust me i should have borne it all so gladly along with you the shame the ruin i would have helped you to bear it all all would you have had the will the strength both the will and the strength for then i did not know of your great your terrible crime what crime what are you speaking of i am speaking of that crime for which there is no forgiveness you must be out of your mind you are a murderer you have committed the one mortal sin falling back towards the piano you are raving ella you have killed the love life in me do you understand what that means the bible speaks of a mysterious sin for which there is no forgiveness i have never understood what it could be but now i understand the great unpardonable sin is to murder the love life in a human soul and you say i have done that you have done that i have never rightly understood until this evening what had really happened to me that you deserted me and turned to gunhild instead i took that to be a mere common fickleness on your part and the result of heartless scheming on hers i almost think i despised you a little in spite of everything but now i see it you deserted the woman you loved me 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 what you held dearest in the world you were ready to barter away for gain that is the double murder you have committed the murder of your own soul and of mine how well i recognize your passionate ungovernable spirit ella no doubt it is natural enough that you should look at the thing in this light of course you are a woman and therefore it would seem that your own heart is the one thing you know or care about in this world yes yes it is your own heart is the only thing that exists for you <laughs> the only thing the only thing you are right there but you must remember that i am a man as a woman you were the dearest thing in the world to me but if the worst comes to the worst one woman can always take the place of another ella rentheim looks at him with a smile was that your experience when you had made gunhild your wife no but the great aims i had in life helped me to bear even that 
i wanted to have at my command all the sources of power in this country all the wealth that lay hidden in the soil and the rocks and the forests and the sea i wanted to gather it all into my hands to make myself master of it all and so to promote the well-being of many many thousands lost in recollection i know it think of all the evenings we spent in talking over your projects yes i could talk to you hella i jested with your plans and asked you whether you wanted to awaken all the sleeping spirits of the mine nodding i remember that phrase all the sleeping spirits of the mine but you did not take it as a jest you said yes yes ella that is just what i want to do and so it was if only i could get my foot in the stirrup and that depended on that one man he could and would secure me the control of the bank if i on my side yes just so if you on your side would renounce the woman you loved and who loved you beyond words in return i knew his consuming passion for you i knew that on no other condition would he and so you struck the bargain yes i did ella for the love of power is uncontrollable in me you see so i struck the bargain i had to and he helped me half-way up towards the beckoning heights that i was bent on reaching and i mounted and mounted year by year i mounted and i was as though wiped out of your life and after all he hurled me into the abyss again on account of you ella after a thoughtful silence borkman does it not seem to you as if there had been a sort of curse on our whole relation a curse yes don't you think so yes but why is it oh ella i begin to wonder which is in the right you or i it is you who have sinned you have done to death all the gladness of my life in me do not say that ella all a woman's gladness at any rate from the day when your image began to dwindle in my mind i have lived my life as though under an eclipse during all these years it has grown harder and harder for me and at last utterly impossible to love any living creature human beings plants animals i shrank from all from all but one what one erhart of course erhart erhart your son borkman has he really been so close to your heart why else should i have taken him to me and kept him as long as ever i could why i thought it was out of pity like all the rest that you did pity <laughs> i have never known pity since you deserted me i was incapable of feeling it if a poor starved child came into my kitchen shivering and crying and begging for a morsel of food i let the servants look to it i never felt any desire to take the child to myself to warm it at my own hearth to have the pleasure of seeing it eat and be satisfied and yet i was not like that when i was young that i remember clearly it is you that have created an empty barren desert within me and without me too except only for erhart yes except for your son but i am hardened to every other living thing you have cheated me of a mother's joy and happiness in life and of a mother's sorrows and tears as well 
and perhaps that is the heaviest part of the loss to me. Do you say that, Ella? Who knows? It may be that a mother's sorrows and tears were what I needed most. But at that time I could not resign myself to my loss. And that was why I took Earhart to me. I won him entirely, won his whole warm, trustful, childish heart, until— Oh! Until what? Until his mother—his mother in the flesh, I mean—took him from me again. He had to leave you in any case. He had to come to town. Ella Rentheim, wringing her hands. Yes, but I cannot bear the solitude, the emptiness. I cannot bear the loss of your son's heart. Borkman, with an evil expression in his eyes. Hmm. I doubt whether you have lost it, Ella. Hearts are not so easily lost to a certain person in the room below. I have lost Earhart here, and she has won him back again. Or if not she, someone else. That is plain enough in the letters he writes me from time to time. Then it is to take him back with you that you have come here? Yes. If only it were possible. It is possible enough if you have set your heart upon it. For you have the first and strongest claims upon him. Oh, claims! Claims! What is the use of claims? If he is not mine of his own free will, he is not mine at all. And have him I must. I must have my boy's heart, whole and undivided, now. You must remember that Earhart is well into his twenties. You could scarcely reckon on keeping his heart very long undivided, as you express it. With a melancholy smile. It would not need to be so for very long. Indeed. I should have thought that when you want a thing, you want it to the end of your days. So I do. But that need not mean for very long. What do you mean by that? I suppose you know I have been in bad health for many years past. Have you? Do you not know that? No, I cannot say I did. Has Earhart not told you so? I really don't remember at the moment. Perhaps he has not spoken of me at all? Oh, yes, I believe he has spoken of you. But the fact is, I so seldom see anything of him, scarcely ever. There is a certain person below that keeps him away from me. Keeps him away, you understand? Are you quite sure of that, Borkman? Yes, absolutely sure. And so you have been in bad health, Ella? Yes, I have. And this autumn I grew so much worse that I had to come to town and take better medical advice. And you have seen the doctors already? Yes, this morning. And what did they say to you? They gave me full assurance of what I had long suspected. Well? My illness will never be cured, Borkman. Oh, you must not believe that, Ella. It is a disease that there is no help or cure for. The doctors can do nothing with it. They must just let it take its course. They cannot possibly check it. At most they can allay the suffering. And that is always something. Oh, but it will take a long time to run its course. I'm sure it will. I may perhaps last out the winter, they told me. Oh, well, the winter is long. Long enough for me, at any rate. But what in all the world can have brought on this illness? You who have always lived such a healthy and regular life, what can have brought it on? The doctors thought that perhaps at one time in my life I had had to go through some great stress of emotion. Emotion? Ah, I understand. You mean that it is my fault? It is too late to go into that matter now. 
but I must have my heart's own child again before I go. It is so unspeakably sad for me to think that I must go away from all that is called life, away from sun and light and air, and not leave behind me one single human being who will think of me, who will remember me lovingly and mournfully, as a son remembers and thinks of the mother he has lost. Take him, Ella, if you can win him. Do you give your consent? Can you? Yes, and it is no great sacrifice either, for in any case he is not mine. Thank you. Thank you all the same for the sacrifice. But I have one thing more to beg of you. A great thing for me, Borkman. Well, what is it? I dare say you will think it childish of me. You will not understand. Go on, tell me what it is. When I die, as I must soon, I shall have a fair amount to leave behind me. Yes, I suppose so. And I intend to leave it all to Earhart. Well, you have really no one nearer to you than he. No, indeed. I have no one nearer me than he. No one of your own family. You are the last. Nodding slowly. Yes. That is just it. When I die, the name of Rentheim dies with me. And that is such a torturing thought to me. To be wiped out of existence, even to your very name. Ah, I see what you are driving at. Do not let it be so. Let Earhart bear my name after me. I understand you well enough. You want to save my son from having to bear his father's name. That is your meaning. No. No, not that. I myself would have borne it proudly and gladly along with you. But a mother who is at the point of death. There is more binding force in a name than you think or believe, Borkman. Well and good, Ella. I am man enough to bear my own name alone. Seizing and pressing his hands. Thank you. Thank you. Now there has been a full settlement between us. Yes. Yes, let it be so. You have made all the atonement in your power. For when I have gone from the world, I shall leave Earhart Rentheim behind me. The tapestry door is thrown open. Mrs. Borkman, with the large shawl over her head, stands in the doorway. Never to his dying day shall Earhart be called by that name. Shrinking back. Gunhild. I allow no one to come up to my room. Advancing a step. I do not ask your permission. Going towards her. What do you want with me? I will fight with all my might for you. I will protect you from the powers of evil. The worst powers of evil are in yourself, Gunhild. So be it, then. Menacingly, with upstretched arm. But this I tell you. He shall bear his father's name, and bear it aloft in honour again. My son's heart shall be mine. Mine, and no others. She goes out by the tapestry door and shuts it behind her. Borkman, Earhart's life will be wrecked in this storm. There must be an understanding between you and Gunhild. We must go down to her at once. We? I too, do you mean? Both you and I. Shaking his head. She is hard, I tell you. Hard as the metal I once dreamed of hewing out of the rocks. Then try it now. Orkman does not answer, but stands looking doubtfully at her. End of Act Two